welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my four-year-old daughter. Series five of the podcast is dedicated to donor conception. I speak to a range of donor-conceived people as well as experts on donor conception to cover a range of topics on this subject. Before we get into the podcast this week, I have some exciting news I'd love to share with you. I have finally launched a Solo Mum membership community called Thriving Solo. It's a community platform for solo mums at every stage of the journey. Whether you're thinking about it, trying to conceive, pregnant or solo parenting, there's something for you. So why should you join? Let me tell you. If you enjoy the podcast, you'll love the membership site. We're taking each subject and delving into much more detail. We've got a variety of live events that are available also on demand, particularly if the time zone doesn't suit you, with a range of experts covering some really useful topics. A few of the live events that are coming up We're having a book club with Liv Thorne, the author of Lives Alone. Some of you may follow her on Instagram. We've got Natasha Fox, who speaks so eloquently about being a donor-conceived person to a solo parent. We'll talk to her all about her experiences and her advice. We've also got Julianne from Parenthood in Mind, who's going to be talking to us about how we could respond if our children say, I wish I had a daddy and many, many more. You can see the whole list of events in the link in the show notes and there's many more coming up that I'll be adding shortly. We've got an amazing community element where we'll be running community calls as well as a Mighty Networks community page. That's very much like a Facebook group, but way better functionality that really allows us to connect with one another more easily. We've got a monthly book club, we've got resources, blogs, podcast suggestions, we've got it all. It's for anyone at any stage of the journey and if you'd like to check it out you can see more details in the show notes. If you want any more information please do get in touch. Now on to this week's guest. In this week's episode I talked to Melissa Melissa is representing the United States Donor Conceived Council. This is a non-profit organisation run by and for donor conceived people. They connect other donor conceived people, recipient parents, donors, industry professionals and the general public to increase awareness of issues that impact donor conceived people and promote change that advances their health, welfare and human rights. Melissa, thank you so much for saying that you'll be a guest on the Stalk and I podcast today. Hi, Mel. It's really awesome to be here. Thank you so much for bringing me on and inviting me. You're more than welcome. As you know, this series of the podcast, we're covering donor conception, particularly around raising the voice from donor conceived people. And I saw on Instagram what you were doing and thought it would be great to speak to you in more detail about that. So before we get into it, do you want to just give yourself a little bit of an introduction and then we'll talk about what you've set up? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I was conceived using an anonymous egg donor. I grew up with uh, heterosexual parents who they've been married my whole life and they tried to have children for about seven years and they realized that my mom couldn't do it on her own. So they uh, needed to use an egg donor. 
And I have one brother who's uh, my full sibling. And um, I have, you know, found out about the donor. I, I realized that I was donor conceived when I was 21. I was just about to turn 22 when they kind of sat us down and gave us the information. I was really glad that they told us themselves because um, I don't know how it would be like if I discovered on my own. And I thought they were kidding at first. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Um, but they told me that they weren't. And, you know, it was weird at first, but I uh, came to find the donor conceived community and other people who were in the same position as me. And it was really cool to see other people who were kind of dealing with the same feelings and going through the same thing. And that was when I started also learning about some of the larger problems with the industry in general. So that's when I decided to step up my activism and get involved uh, in DCC. Brilliant. And before your parents had sat down to talk to you, or, or afterwards, was there any feeling that you felt different from your family or did you have any inclination or was it a complete surprise to you? Um, I definitely felt like something was off. It never, the possibility never crossed my mind of donor conception. I just figured, oh, maybe I, I just don't look like my mom. Maybe my dad's genes are really stronger or like um, my mom and I kind of look like, I always say we look like two women who are cast in a movie to play mother and daughter. Like we look enough alike, but you can't see the resemblance really. It's um, so it never crossed the possibility of donor conception particularly never crossed my mind, but I always did notice that something was different. On reflection, did you think, oh, okay. And it sort of answered questions. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of things ended up making sense. Um, The appearance, the personality differences. Uh, My brother's taller than everybody else. We have no idea how that happened. Now we do. Um, So there's a lot of things that are just like, ah, okay, it's not just me who was weird about that. It, It makes sense now. And so then you said you've stepped up your activism. So um, talk to us a little bit about what it is that you're doing. So yeah, we are a US-based nonprofit. We're led by and for donor-conceived people. And the idea of it was actually um, born by Erin Jackson. She founded We Are Donor Conceived. And a bunch of us, you know, connected with her. And what we realized was there's a lot of important conversations and important, um, some important action being taken in the U.S. to change the way that things are done because, as we know, uh, donor-conceived perspective is too often maybe an afterthought in the process, which, you know, makes sense you know, when you're going through that process. It's, it's easy to overlook that, especially because this is all so new, um, to totally understand that. And so what we want to do is we want to, we noticed there wasn't really a centralized group that worked on pushing those changes forward and pushing uh, awareness of those issues forward. So that's where we came in. Brilliant. And I think that you are US-based and some of the things may be more specific to the US, but I think a lot of the things are, it doesn't really matter what country you're from anyway. Definitely. I think a lot of um, many countries where this is going on share a lot of the same problems. So there are some differences in maybe policy and legal aspects, but a lot of the issues are pretty much the same. It's a really interesting thing you said to me uh, that it's an afterthought because if I even just think about myself, that's one of the biggest things that I'm learning myself and that I'm trying to share for the solo motherhood community because when I was going through this, it was all about how I felt and it was all about my journey and my decisions. And then now knowing what I know, I was like, oh, actually 
the person I should have been putting at the forefront of my mind is my child or my future child. And, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. But now I've got the opportunity to share with other people that they can um, learn more and make more informed decisions based on some of the things we're learning. Even with the podcast, this is series five. And I'm now talking to donor conceived people, whereas I've talked to solo parents and, and experts in the past. And so the, the one thing that's the most important to me is to keep an open mind constantly learning accepting that we make mistakes that's okay as long as we have the mindset that we learn from them the hardest thing is seeing people with such closed mindsets that don't Mm -hmm. want to tackle this even if it's hard it's just Mm -hmm. going to be beneficial for everybody if we particularly if we work together on it and talk about it together and you know learn Absolutely. And I think that's true also. Before I knew I was donor conceived, I probably would have, if I was a parent using these services, I probably would have thought the same things or had the same experience because the problems just aren't widely enough talked about. Um, I think that's what you said is very true. It's um, sometimes it can really be difficult for recipient parents to hear the donor conceived perspective. And I totally understand um, how some things can be interpreted hurtfully. Um, But like you said, the main thing is we all want the same thing. We want the best for the donor conceived people, their children, your children. And we're... um, what we're doing here is we want the same thing, basically. Exactly. So what are some of the key things then that you are working on or that you think need to be changed? Yeah, so at DCC, we care a lot about some of the problems that have just gone on for too long and um, just are long overdue for change, one of which is uh, in the U.S., there's a lot of lack of oversight in the fertility industry and lack of accountability, um, not sufficient regulation that prioritizes the needs of donor-conceived people or really any party involved. We care a lot about anonymity. We care about a lot about fertility fraud and things along those lines. Long term, our goals are to hopefully accomplish some type of large scale change in a public understanding of donor conception. Uh, A lot of destigmatization needs to happen. um, And also a lot of large scale change to the way things operate within donor conception itself. Um, Short term, the way we want to do that is we want to connect with people who are involved in the process, uh, recipient parents like yourself, donors, uh, medical and legal professionals, as well as people who aren't involved at all. Because if you're not in that circle, it's really hard to just come across the topic on your own. So um, I suppose what I want to do is to help put some topics on the table for Mm -hmm. solo parents to think about. Now, my audience is split into two. So there'll be people considering taking this route to parenthood and there'll be people who've already got donor conceived children. Um, Mm -hmm. So I suppose if we start with the people at the beginning who are considering this route to parenthood, most of my audience who are considering this are people who thought that they would have a child with a partner they're of an age where they haven't met a partner and if they don't do something on their own potentially they will miss out on parenthood Um, Mm -hmm. and so are considering this as one option to stop that from happening so the first thing I have got an audience from around the world although a lot are UK based the law in the UK is that 
you have to have a release ID donor or a no mm. donor. You can't use an anonymous donor because that legislation changed. However, some people then choose to go abroad um, and, and then in different countries you, you can still use anonymous donors. So can you talk to me a little bit about what's the view of anonymity and you know what would your recommendation be for people who are considering this bearing in mind there will be people listening who have chosen an anonymous donor. Um, yeah what, what, what's your, what is your view on it? Definitely. So DCC is strongly in support of as little anonymity as possible. Of course, it's, there's, so, there's so many factors at play that can interfere with that, whether it be cultural understanding, finances, whatever. Um, so we strongly recommend to do what you can to make sure your kid has at least access to those relatives. Um, and whether it be through DNA testing or whatever registries exist in your local area. Um, it's just really important to not shut that off for them. If they grow up maybe later on, you know, your kid decides like, mm, not too important to me, that's fine. Um, it's just really, really important to grant them the gift of that agency to be able to have that access to biological relatives and know where they come from. So would you say it's important for recipient parents to put in the work to do some of the work for their child to offer as much information as possible? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Because interestingly, I would love to, I used a donor from a local clinic where the likelihood is the other people that use the donor will live in close proximity because they are, mm -hmm. they only serve that clinic. So I think that's quite a unique situation where my daughter could potentially have X number of siblings that live close by that are all going to be a similar age. Now, for me, that's something that I would love to try to find and maybe wait and give her the choice on whether she wants to explore that, but at least have that information. I've done a lot of exploring to see if I can find that. But I, I suppose the important thing is that I discuss it with her and help her explore I continue to explore and help her to explore when she's at the age of understanding what that is I guess would you support that approach yeah I think that's a really great strategy too that's very supportive and one of the hard things for donor conceived people can be that process of trying to find yeah. relatives and all the roadblocks that come along with it so the fact that you're kind of doing that heavy lifting for her is so important. I think that's really cool. Okay, that's really good advice for people then, I think, to say, even if you aren't going to use it in the future, potentially, the fact that you've put that work in can be seen as a positive. In terms of siblings, I know that one of the big issues is the number. What we're led to believe in the UK, which is very, it's, transpired to not really be true is that there is a 10 family limit so when you're choosing a sperm donor you're sort of thinking okay well there's 10 families that still seems like a lot but you know mm -hmm. the, the, there's a you know it's not going to go over that when you've used a sperm donor that's from a clinic abroad what has now been more widely realized is that that limit is only relevant for the UK you could have hundreds around the world and the clinics don't seem to 
be giving the exact number. They'll only give the number per country. So is that something that you guys are looking at trying to change? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a huge problem too. And that's really, it's so hard for the recipient parent to know that information because it's all on the clinics. Um, and so that's one of the really often heartbreaking things about it is people will expect, okay, I'll have 10 siblings probably around that number, whatever. And then they maybe take a DNA test and they find out they have dozens or even hundreds of siblings. I believe in the U.S. um, Well, first of all, in the U.S., there's no cap on the number. There's no legal. I mean, clinics can set their own rules, but they often kind of don't follow that. Um, The American Society for Reproductive Medicine recommends uh, 25 offspring per donor in a population of 800,000, which 25 itself is a lot too, but also in New York City, for example, that would be about 280 offspring per donor. So just imagine having 200, over 200 siblings. It's just wild. So it's really hard because that's out of the parents' control. It's um, really, truly up to the clinic, but we are really trying to get that changed on a, on a public level, on a policy level. And my understanding, reading some of the research, is that there's two main issues. One is a practical issue that the likelihood of meeting someone does start to become higher, where you'll meet a sibling that you don't realize is a sibling. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the second is just getting to grips with the fact that you've, how do you process that as, you know, that you've got so many relatives, you know, oh, by yeah. the, it's hard to process, I'm sure. Absolutely. I mean, like I, I've never met a donor sibling, so I can't speak directly from that experience, but it's just so many people I've talked to who have are just over, how do you, how do you possibly keep track and form relationships with so many relatives? And another thing that's a risk with that is accidental incest. Um, That's when, you know, for people who might not be familiar, that's when two uh, half siblings who are both donor conceived meet, don't know their siblings and get into a relationship. There are people who have had children in those situations and then later on go out to uh, find out that they are actually half siblings. It's, it's a big problem. And even just the possibility of it to a donor conceived person can be very worrisome and upsetting. And is there anything you can do as a recipient parent um, to minimize the risk I think you can actually, you can choose to have a capped, some of the sperm banks say you can choose this sperm donor and the maximum we will use it is X times. I think that's an option. I don't know if there's anything you know about that you can do to minimize that risk. Yeah. I mean, that's, if that's an option, I highly encourage choosing it. Um, uh, the sad thing is that clinics aren't always honest, so I wouldn't yeah. necessarily stop at that point. Do what you can to, not if not even connect your children to their siblings, just make sure that they know who they are yeah. um, so they don't face that overwhelm, that they're not caught off guard, caught with that shock later on, and that they, they don't have to worry necessarily as much about running into a sibling and interacting with them or possibly even having a romantic relationship with them without knowing. Um, Um, Do you know if you've got any siblings and if you've tried to connect with anyone or have you made the decision not to? Yeah, I haven't met. It's, it's, tougher with egg donors. Um, it's usually, yeah. Um, so it's usually more common for a lot of siblings to be born from sperm, sperm donors, just, you know, by the way that it goes, 
I, I don't know if there are any out there that maybe just haven't taken any DNA test, don't know their donor conceived. Um, to the best of my knowledge, the egg donor that my mom used doesn't have children of her own. So it might just be me and my brother out there, which is a unique situation for a donor conceived person. That's a good point about the egg donors. Mm-hmm. It's the sperm donation particularly that, that creates or can have the possibility of creating so many siblings. Um, I have heard some solo mums say, well, it's just a sperm donor. They're not part of my family. Uh, They're not part of my child's life. It was just a biological sort of like necessity. And I understand that that certainly more of the thinking in the past just by doing a a small amount of research I mean I've done loads of research because I'm advising people and feel like I've got a responsibility to make sure I'm trying to be at the forefront of of this but just by Mm -hmm. doing a little bit of research I think it's quite clear speaking to donor conceived people that that's that's your story maybe but that might not be how your child feels so I'd just be really interested on your take for somebody who is thinking I use a sperm donor I don't want them to be part of my family I don't want to think of it I don't want to think about it I used it the end this is my family now what what would you say to someone who feels like that Yeah, so I just, the most important thing to remember is that um, they're a donor to the parent, but to the kid, they're a biological parent. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're more important than you or that it affects the quality of your parenting. People are amazing parents, whether or not they use a sperm donor or an egg donor. Um, But just remember to to the kid, they might they probably will see it very differently. Um, uh, just the, the biological connection, being able to look at somebody and see parts of yourself in them is so important, especially when you're forming your identity, when you're growing up. Um, it's uh, just really important to note that distinction that it's, it's not the same experience for the donor conceived person. So I think then there's probably two key points in that. So the first one is separating out your story from your child's story. So your story Mm -hmm. is your story, whatever that is to you, but acknowledging that your child's story is their story and that might be different from yours. Um, um, And probably you just need to support them exploring their story, not be pushing them down thinking the same as your story if that makes sense is that right yeah definitely a donor conceived people's needs aren't um they don't necessarily have any not i mean anything to do with the recipient parents not in a, like a bad way but just know that if they maybe have needs that you didn't expect or feel maybe uncomfortable with it doesn't mean that you didn't do your job as a parent it doesn't mean that you weren't good enough for them or didn't love them enough it's just it's a completely separate aspect that will probably help them a lot regardless of how good you were and i think the second thing that it's, it is hard to hear for a lot of people is just the word parent so mm. like I think that we parent means so much, particularly to people, which is probably most people who've used donor conception, someone who's really, you know, gone through a process to become a parent, then thinking that someone else 
might be a parent. I think that's the tricky thing. But again, I, for me, I differentiate parents in my role of bringing someone up and the parent, the biological parent of those genes, that DNA, I don't want to minimize it, but just say it's different. So it's not replacing yeah. what I'm doing. It's in addition, um, it's different. And I suppose I try not to feel threatened by that term, but just embrace it to say there's room for anybody. There's room, mm -hmm. you know, because they're not trying to replace me. It would be an, an addition. I don't know if, if you agree with that. I think that's a really good way of looking at it too. And I think part of the source of that discomfort um, of thinking of the donor as a parent comes from the fact that we have this societal understanding of what a family is and that's often not reflective of how many different ways that someone can make a family and calling someone a parent doesn't necessarily mean in the traditional sense that they are exactly like you um, it's just at least in my case there's three parents involved there's my mom my dad and my biological mother um, I see it that way. I was also, I was a late discovery. I mean, I wasn't raised by a single mother, so it's not the same situation, but mm -hmm. it's the most important thing to remember is that they're not replacing you. Uh, when donor conceived people are looking for their donor, they're not like looking for their, a mommy or a daddy. Like they're, they're looking for to understand themselves better, most of the time to understand themselves better. And that's definitely, I've spoken to some donor conceived people from solo parent families and they say they've just got a deep curiosity about mm -hmm. who their, some of their DNA came from and whether they look like them and whether they've got the same manner, not to play a father role, but just as a, as a curiosity to understand the whole of them. And I think there was, it's hard to listen to because one of the girls that I spoke to said she doesn't feel like a whole person because she doesn't understand that part of her. And what I took from that is the importance as a recipient parent to try to help if, you, if your child wants to, to find as much information and to find the donor if you can, because absolutely we want to make sure everyone feels like a whole person. And if, if, you know, if that means that they don't, anything we can do to help, I guess, we should mm -hmm. try to do. Definitely, yeah. So um, if for the people who have already got a child, my advice is always, I think it's slightly different for solo parent families because there isn't a father there. So it becomes more necessary to tell a story to mm -hmm. explain why you are a different family to most of the other families you'll see. However, I saw a really good um, thing that made me think, you know, we can't assume that just because we're in that situation that our children understand, uh, we, we really have to communicate to them. So um, have, you, have you got any advice on communicating to your children? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a child psychologist, so I'm yeah, not yeah. sure this is an official advice, no, um, no. but I, I've actually heard a couple of your past podcasts about when you talked about how open you are with your daughter and how you don't make things taboo uh, by acting weird about it or saying that, like, oh, you're too young to know that or anything like that. You're just very open. And I think that's really cool and really important. The most important thing I think at least is 
when your kid does ask questions and even before they start asking, it's usually good to start having these conversations and make it normal um, to them. Uh, just even if there's something you don't know how to answer or maybe if there's a the question that maybe you weren't expecting or maybe you feel uncomfortable with it or whatever the case may be, don't make it taboo for them. It's very tough to find that balance of not stigmatizing something while also making it age appropriate. Um, but do your best to really show that this isn't a negative thing in any sense. Their questions aren't negative. They're not um, wrong for being curious, for wanting to know something, for being different from other kids maybe. Uh, just really, really be positive about their curiosity and their questions. I think that's one of the things that I try to make sure I'm doing constantly curious, I think is a really good word. And, mm -hmm. you know, constantly be curious about how they're feeling, what they need to know, why they're asking certain questions, what more I can do, constantly just be learning, I suppose. But I like mm -hmm. that, that curious, I think it's a good thing to think about, to try to make sure that we're always learning and we're putting them at the forefront of our minds in that 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 we're supporting them because i suppose you've got you're dealing with your own emotions about it and it's almost like trying to put them to the back seat and think okay let me put my child first and deal with how they're feeling about it at, at, at the forefront. yeah definitely and a recipient's parents uh, feelings are nowhere near insignificant like you guys you guys of course matter and everything it's just like you said really important to think about how the donor conceived person might be feeling in this situation and, you know, put, put that experience first because it's impacting them the most directly. And I think my, my advice to people, what I found is I started reading my daughter, um, the, the resources that you can get, the, the books, when she was a baby. And honestly, I did feel like an idiot. It felt so uncomfortable. I knew she didn't have a clue what I was talking about. The, old, the other books like, are so different. Like I could be reading her fairy tales, but no, I'm reading her these books. And, uh, but I'd read that that was the best thing to do. So I thought, I'm just going to do it. And only now I realize why that's recommended because now I'm so familiar with reading those stories. They don't feel strange for me. And some solo um, parents have come to me to say, I actually haven't started talking to my child about this and they're three. And now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I, I read somewhere that three is actually considered a late reveal because it, it, you know, it, you're still having to sit down and have a conversation then. Whereas for me, I've never done that. It's just always mm -hmm. in the conversation. So I definitely find that easier weaving it into conversation rather than having like a serious talk about it. Because like you said, your parents sat you down. I suppose that's what we can avoid ever having to do oh, yeah. that, um, which I guess will be, would be easier. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, it's really important to push through that discomfort like you did. And I'm really glad that, you know, when it first felt weird that you kept going, trusting that it was important because it so is. And you made the choice by continuing despite the fact that you were uncomfortable at first. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. And I think the the thing that I've learned more recently that I haven't done, that I'm now trying to do, is to talk about differences. What I've read more recently is embracing differences and things that I aren't familiar to me because 
possibly have come more from the donor side, whether that be physical characteristics like eye color, hair color, or whether that be other stuff. I've heard people say like, you know, people are more sporty or whatever. And, and then being a bit more open on, in saying, oh, I wonder whether that from your donor. I, I don't know if you've got a view about that's something that I've really only just started exploring and so haven't got really much experience and need to work on getting more comfortable with the language I would use on that and how I would do that. I don't know if you have any advice on that. Yeah, I think a really important thing is to embrace whatever comes up. And another thing also is to, um, it's really easy, I think, to look at at least in my experience sometimes it was like my parents were like looking to see like what came up you know almost in a way where I was like in a glass case um, metaphorically um and so you know just remember like the human aspect as you sift as you discover more about the kid and just remember that it might be you know an interesting note-taking process for you or a discovery process for you but for them it's it's their life it's who they are okay interesting and so um have you got any advice for the single parent community is there anything that you would i suppose leave people to think about or any key advice for people yeah definitely a really interesting thing that i've been thinking about a lot is when we talk about problems with donor conception it's often taken personally and i i totally understand how that again that interpretation can come about so a really important thing to remember is that criticisms of the process or the industry aren't criticisms of the individual that goes for both donor conceived people and donor conceived activists not that we're not people but you know what i mean um and so if, you're, if your kid does have curiosity, like I said before, it's not that you were a bad parent. It's not that if, if they you know, aren't happy about the fact that their donor was anonymous, it doesn't mean that you yourself are a bad person or, um, or if, if activists uh, come up and announce like, hey, anonymity is hurting us, it's, it's harmful, or hey, we, we don't know our siblings, that's, that's harmful. We're not saying that the individual actors in the situations are inherently immoral or bad people. Um, And what you talked about before is really important too. The most important thing is even if you didn't know before, and again, these decisions are not made in a vacuum. There's a lot that goes into the influences on how these decisions come about, whether it be finances, misunderstandings, lack of education. It's, It's not always on the individual. I mean, that's of course part of it, but once you learn better, just the most important thing is to do better. If you didn't know yesterday about anonymity, well, now today, you know, and now you can work that into how you do things moving forward. You can't change the past. And there's been a lot of problems with the industry that have led people to make choices that turned out to be harmful to the kids that maybe we didn't expect that down the line. But once you learn better, the important thing is to resist the urge to get defensive and just listen and be like, okay, interesting. Like now I'm going to use that moving forward. Great advice. Thank you. And if people want to get more involved, is there anything that they can do to get involved? Is there any support that can be offered? We have a website, dcc-usa.org. We have a mailing list. We um, are posting blog posts pretty pretty regularly now, and we post um, we do a lot of writing that's specified for recipient parents, for donors, 
for people in the industry. So our main goal is that education aspect for people who maybe aren't familiar with our perspective. So definitely, definitely either reach out to us on Instagram. We are on Twitter also. Um, we are always really happy to connect with people who want to learn more about our perspective. That's our main goal. And so I suppose reading and sharing the material you're producing to get to a wider audience so more people can be educated on this could be really helpful. That too, yeah. And even using your, like what you're doing, using your platform to reach more recipient parents, to reach solo parents specifically, that's really cool. That just whatever you can do to spread that perspective and to share and to clarify misunderstandings, really incredible. Great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that um, I should have done? Uh, no, I think you were very thorough. I think you covered it all. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. Yeah, thank you again so much for having us on here. We're, uh, we're really happy that you invited us on. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd take a few minutes to rate, review and subscribe. If you'd like to learn more of what's on offer at The Stork and I, head over to my website, thestalkandi.com, or follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi with underscores between the words. You can hear more about the coaching I offer, as well as hear from donor-conceived adults, industry experts, and the opportunity to meet and become a part of the Solo Motherhood community.